the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Come to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and across the 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Come jump in the chat. Come participate with us. Um, happy opening day to all who celebrate. Happy opening of the Masters with our first round getting going right now. CBSSports.com and Paramount Plus, of course, your uh, your best way to be able to access all of the footage. Uh, Tiger Woods is teeing off right now in a magenta shirt that will absolutely draw our eyes at different times. And so please bear with us. Then maybe we'll just turn it into a Tiger Woods watch party if he like has a hole in one or something like that. Uh, what? Guess. What would the odds? What would the odds have been that all four of us show up here to work on opening day, which is the same day as the Masters? Well, <laughs> this, we, we just hit a pretty good parlay. Like y'all, y'all need to be happy we showed up today. I don't feel good, guys. I got to <laughs> yeah. take the rest of the day. I, I got a vision problem. I can't see myself coming to work today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Some people have that same sort of excuse and do it to watch the Cover Three podcast. So we appreciate those of you. Who, who are hitting that, uh, you know, at work, but also hanging out with us here on the Cover 3 podcast. Listen, we had an awesome turnout for our Cover 3 podcast bracket games. We had 700 total brackets, but there was only one that was the winner. So we wanted to take some time and give a shout out to Tom Betterton, who ended Betterton, I would imagine. Uh, so I pulled up his bracket this morning because I wanted to give him some love. He had three of the four Final Four teams. He had Villanova, Kansas, and Duke, the one and the two twos that were there. He had Texas, instead of UNC. Yeah, Longhorns <laughs> bowed out early. But this was something. He had uh, Miami as the 10 seed in the Elite Eight. He had Iowa State and Miami, the 10 and the 11 in the Sweet 16. He had UNC beating Baylor and UCLA. And Tom also had, let's see, there was another one that stood out to me. Oh, he had, uh, he had Gonzaga going way too far. That, didn't, that wasn't great. But it was the number one bracket in the entire 700-person pool. Does anybody know who won among the four of us? Chip Patterson did. Oh, of course. That's why we had to do this recap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, one yeah, talks yeah. about brackets after the fact. We always forget. Like, who cares? <laughs> Once you're out, no one cares. But if you 47. win, you're the only people that want to talk. Chip had Kansas winning. That's why. Yeah. And, and I scanned through, and I was looking. I got to 250, and I didn't see anybody else's name. I saw a Ben Elliott, but I know that Bud didn't get his entry in in time, so that certainly wasn't him under a different name. But we wanted to congratulate Tom. Uh, I know that Coca has been has reached out and been in touch with you, and thanks to all of you that, who participated in that. A uh, little bit of news before we jump into the big old bag of mail with the 
Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby announcing that he will be uh, stepping down. And now that's opened up you know, two questions for me. Number one, uh, who is going to take over for the Big 12 Commissioner? And number two, who wants that job? Like, what does being Commissioner of the Big 12 bring and what are going to be some of your challenges? And so either, either side of that, I'm not good at the admin carousel. I don't know if you guys are, but that's just not my beat. Um, but what do we think is going to be the future for the Big 12 with the change in leadership after Bob Bowlesby is out? Like, they got a TV deal coming up in a few years. I, You know, Andy Staples wrote something about this at The Athletic that I thought had some pretty decent ideas in it. Like, I... I do think that the big, you know, the elephant in the room is the Texas-Oklahoma situation. Like, do you try to find an amicable departure, a way to get them out of there so everybody can get on with the rest of their lives and you could still get, a, you know, it doesn't destroy the money, destroy the TV deal, and just so everybody's still happy. You know what I mean? Like, just a nice compromise. I feel like that's the biggest thing. I really have no idea. I mean, I, I just, it's not as an attractive product as it once was. And you can say Bowlesby kind of messed it up by that whole deal with Texas Oklahoma, but I don't really know how much control he had over that. And I do think that him being active to go and raid the AAC uh, and, and get BYU as well, it, I think that's probably enough to keep it above the fold if we want to stay in a five-power conference layout, right? Um are those that's teams what you're see- fighting for. Like if the next yes. 12 commissioner, the number one goal, and it might be with the TV deal negotiation, but it, it also just might be a little bit more political in terms of, you know, who your allegiance is, who your alliances are with, and, and whether or not you are going to be able to be viewed when it comes time for those hard decisions, which are going to come when you expand the college football playoff and you start deciding things like automatic bids, you start deciding things like how much revenue from the college football playoff television contract is going to get distributed. Cause we've always known that in the first college football playoff agreement, there were the five conferences that were all going to be able to get bigger pieces and the smaller conferences got smaller pieces, but they wanted that money knowing that they weren't going to get the access. They took the money, they lost the access with a four-team model. So to me, it's like, yes, you want to get the biggest TV deal monetarily, but you also got to make sure that just in the general standing and the way that your conference is considered with uh, the writing of the future format is absolutely huge. Yeah, I... By the way, me and Tom raised our hands. We'll take the commissioner of the Big 12 job, make three or four million bucks a year and try to... Is that what he makes? Sure. I bet he does. I wouldn't be okay. surprised. Got to be close. Yeah. Yeah. I would what, think, what was Larry Scott making? Like we, five we were and a half. Like, I think he was five, something like that, to run that it we, into the ground. That we know uh, of. I could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, and that doesn't count the Rose Bowl tickets that he gave yeah. to the parents of his kids' oh, soccer that was team. Hilarious. If you think about it, though, like if Larry Scott makes five and a half, lives in California, right? And and uh, Bowlesby, Texas, no state tax. No, no. In, yeah, there's no income tax. In so, and Bowlesby's making three and a half. Like, they're coming out about the same. Yeah, yeah. You, you know California's taking a huge chunk of that. It, it's a good gig. I think the uh, the most interesting thing is, what is the Big 12's move now? Like, he's, I, and his legacy is going to be complex. He's going to be remembered as the one that let Oklahoma Ticks get away. I mean, that's just a, a reality. But he also did salvage it and leave it. I'm trying to decide, like, where it, what is the health of the Big 12? Because I think it's better than it was... 
the immediate aftermath of Oklahoma, Texas leaving with the four schools he's brought in and they're good brands. I think we would all look at those as top tier targets of who they should have gone after. But now what? Like now, are they really competing with the other power five schools or are they competing with the American and some of these other ones, which I think is probably closer to the reality. So how do you, and to chips, like how do you catch up to those other power five? How do you catch up to the ACC or stay up with the, uh, ACC in the Pac-12, and that is a tough cookie to crack. I, I don't know how you're going to do that. And the other thing is, what what philosophy do you take as far as the exit strategy for Oklahoma and Texas? Do you take the Bob Bowlesby, I'm not letting you out at all, or do you let it uh, and make it run its course, or do you start to negotiate that and say, man, that's, that's a move that wasn't me. Oklahoma Texas are gone. Let's get them out of here, and let's start fresh and start moving ahead. Like, what's your thought process going forward as soon as you take that job? Yeah, like, I think that's part of it, too, in that maybe one of the benefits of Bowles believing is that you get somebody in charge who isn't as mad about what Texas and Oklahoma did, so maybe you'll have a much better chance of getting that done. Because, like, if you're ESPN and you've got your new SEC television contract starting here in a couple of years, you want Texas and Oklahoma to be part of that from the jump. So there's got to be some way that the Big 12 and ESPN can negotiate away with those schools to just get it to happen. And then there's money coming back to the Big 12. So at least the schools that are remaining are getting some sort of financial. They're not taking a huge financial hit directly from those two leaving because of the TV deal, because the Big 12 does have a TV deal with ESPN. So you got to be able to figure something out. I think what's more interesting, though, not just from the Big 12 perspective, is, you know, we talk about like the college football playoff and a big part of what killed the momentum that they had as far as expansion was what the SEC did. But now you look around at the conferences, you've got a new conference commissioner in the Pac-12. Kevin Warren hasn't been at the Big Ten very long. Jim Phillips hasn't been at the ACC very long. Sankey's now going to be the most tenured commissioner of the major conferences, and it's not like he's been running the SEC for decades. He's only been there, what, four or five years at this point? The Big 12 is going to have a new one. So you're going to have a lot of people that don't really have that kind of working relationship. So it's going to be interesting just to see how people kind of jockey for power and all this stuff now, because the Big Ten and the SEC are kind of leaving everybody behind in a way. So it's going to be important for whoever takes over the Big 12 to not only just try to get this Texas-Oklahoma thing situated and to work on a new TV deal, but maybe think of expanding further and maybe solidifying your place even more solidly. Like, I don't know. Remember when the PAC 12 tried to raid you a few years ago, maybe it's time to return the favor a little bit and go after some PAC 12 schools. I don't know. It's going to, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next decade of what things currently look like. The other part is how do you keep all the right now, all the current members absent Oklahoma, Texas, because they're not current future or future members. Um, they're all pretty, Hey, we're in this together. Cool. I'm glad glad we solidified the league. If we kind of go towards more of a a two-team Super League thing, and I'm not one of these guys that thinks it's going to be 24 or 30. I know we had Matt Brown on. He he did a pretty good job explaining, like, you need some people to take some losses because a lot of these schools aren't going to be cool with going four and eight. You know, it's not the NFL um, yet. But if, if they go to 40 or 50, like how do you, how, how convinced are, are you that these schools in the Big 12 are not going to just be all about themselves, just like Oklahoma and Texas were, right? Like, how do you get everybody to work together? I don't know. That's where oh, the, it, stayed, it stayed on the shelf. There you go. I think, <laughs> I think that's where the political side is a little bit interesting because 
you're going to have to come in and you're going to have to make nice with Greg Sankey because Greg Sankey is going to be the one that is going to be leading the charge for the future of the playoff. And if there's a Super League, guess who's in it? All of the SEC teams and Greg Sankey's probably in charge of it. So it'll, it'll be very interesting to see uh, how that goes moving Man, forward. How do you trust him, though? Oh, yeah. I know. After both, like, like, they like, were on the little committee together, the working four. committee, just yeah. four people in tight spaces, working in tight quarters, and he didn't even give you a heads up. You had no idea that he sideswiped you like that. That is a tough – now, I think that's what your job is pretty much is to make sure that you have relationships and information so that you are on top of everything. Do you think that was unacceptable? Do you think there's anything – like? Because I think your job as a commissioner is to be attuned to everything that's going on. And you have to have people and ears on the ground and relationships built where somebody, maybe it was only three people, five people, you know, but somebody couldn't have given you a heads up and said, hey, just so you know, this is coming your way. You need to be on top of this because he clearly had zero clue. And that's why he was so ticked off about it, too. Do you guys think that was anything you could have done or do you think that was just back room no one that heard about room. it that was some it might have been, been, it might have been got caught flat-footed too yeah. I mean, yeah like where would you normally hear about it politics mm-hmm. right powerful people go and talk and somebody who you know from baylor who's in the state legislature or in the governor's office like they would they would hear or you know for some main m would, would hear nobody heard like they did a really good job of keeping that stuff quiet i and i think the reason is because they, they didn't have to figure out like hey how do our deal with IMG or Learfield, right? Like we had to make sure they're they're looped in. I just think they were like, hey, this is so big that we'll figure out all the details later. And thus, like just the very power people at Texas were able to do it without consulting anybody else is my suspicion. Because if you had to loop in all the licensing and the groups, I think it would have gotten out a lot earlier. So uh, there's a lot of spring games coming up this weekend, but there's not going to be a lot of people who are going to be in the spotlight quite like Danny Cannell. Spring game coach up at Florida State. I was thrilled when I saw the news was official that you were going to be there. I, I, I got to hear. Like, what, what's our thought? What's our game plan? What should we expect? I mean, we, we got one of our own right yeah. there, you know, taking the headset and leading the charge in a you know, pretty, pretty interesting uh, spring game for the Seminoles. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm fired up. Uh, the 90s Knowles versus the next century Knowles as me and Pete Bulware, my old teammate, are taking on Bryant McFadden and EJ Manuel, the other coaches uh, in this game. It's going to be fun. I talked to Norvell uh, last week. He asked me to do it, was kind of explaining to it a little bit about how it works. I guess, you know, once the once the main, like the work is done, then they start having some fun and we get a call sheet of, you know, a list of plays of what we can call. Having not seen it, like I, I'll do what I thought the best coaches did to me. I want to go over to Jordan Travis and say, hey, man, what's your, give me your top three plays. Like, give me mm-hmm. your top three. I want to go to the offensive line. Give me your top three runs. Like, what do you guys like to do? I want to hear from them. And then, you know, is there a trick play in there that, you know, because you got to call that up. Now, don't tell anybody this because this is top secret information. Because I did talk to Brian McFadden, who's on the other squad, and he's telling me, he's like, oh, man, I'm bringing the house. Like, he basically gave me his philosophy. So I'll have some max protections dialed up so I can protect the QB, take those shots, and we'll be ready. But it's not – like, you know, I'll ask the offensive line for their favorite runs, but I'll also ask them for their favorite play action as well because I don't know if we're going to be running the ball too much. BMAC with that classic defensive back attitude of, if we blitz everybody, I won't have to cover as long. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. But I'm fired up. I can't wait to see, you know, the progress that Mike Norvell has made, the roster changes, guy like Jared Verse, see how the, you know, because the last time I was there was like right after COVID. Nobody was allowed to watch the scrimmages. And I remember leaving that scrimmage being like, you know, the team's a little smallish. Where's the game breaker? Like, where are these guys, the quarterbacks? Like, Mackenzie Milton was okay. Jordan Travis was okay. I think Travis comes in with a lot of confidence, the way he finished the season, both running the football but and throwing the football. And so I'm curious to see, like, has he stepped up in a leadership role and taken control of this team, which I, I would expect him to. So, yeah, I'll be able to give you guys a detailed rundown. And me and Bud, maybe from the bar. Who's on your team? Yeah, I was going to say, know, do you guys, you know? haven't seen the right, do you guys get to draft? I don't know. So Friday, tomorrow night, there's a dinner with the team, and I'm sure we'll get some of those details. So, yeah, I need to – I'll actually – you know what, Bud, you're going to be my personnel guy. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, like, hey, just give me – who do I need to – who are the top draft picks, you know, and then we'll uh, – because if it is a draft, I would think the coaches will give us the rosters. I would think. I think so, too. But, yeah. like, doesn't doesn't Pete live in town? Yeah, I think so. He's See, that's to- the big advantage you have because he yeah. gets to go practice, whereas whereas you know Bryant and, and EJ don't. So I mean, not like yep. you know, yep. he can't just pop over there whenever he wants. So, are you yeah. coming for Norvell's job, Danny? Yeah, that's all I'm doing. No, you know what I'm really doing? <laughs> no, you know what I'm really doing? I, I this is a massive nil deal. I would only do this if I <laughs> I held out for more money. Rising that's spear, right? I have a I have an autograph signing at Guthrie's, and then I'm headed over to the uh, student bookstore. I'm going to do more signings over there, and then I'm going to swim by the uh, Chevrolet dealership and make sure I get <laughs> some palms over there. This is going to make me some money. And then there's the nonprofit uh, nil that I'm going to go over to the boys and girls club and make sure to play catch with them for another few thousand. So yeah, it's gonna be a very lucrative weekend. <laughs> you saw um, the uh, the guy who set up FSU's NIL uh, is covering all operating costs, so that 100 percent of donations go to the student. It's oh, a pretty really? good pitch. Yeah, oh, that is. Yeah, that as is opposed to like good. a company that's making money off it. So yeah, yeah. The, 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 lot, the there, rising spear dude was. As much as there's money to be made for the players, there are a lot of like people are smart, savvy. And what's always funny, I think we talked about this early, is you know the line has always been players are exploited. Players are exploited. They're still getting exploited by a lot of people. And now the players are getting some of it, but there's a lot of people making a lot of money off this too. So you bring up mm-hmm. a good point. Is that like an NIL deal where uh, at an autograph signing, you know, there's a there's a value that we are paying to the player to come and sign autographs, but then also the business person understands that the money that they will make off of the flood of fans into their business is even more than they're paying right there. Yeah, well, so, some, of these, some of these collectives take like a 30% haircut. Yeah. For operating yeah. costs. What? Oh yeah. 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 That's that that's that's one of the selling points of the, of the Rising Spear one for, for FSU is that like they don't take any percentage of it because the the guy who set it up is a pretty successful investment guy and he's like I'll, I'll cover all the costs. How long do you think the nonprofit collectives will be able to survive? Because I'm wondering if the IRS comes in and starts looking at what these are all about. Like the Texas offensive lineman thing. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that's everybody's doing it. If there's a loophole now, and I also think it's a great strategy because if you're a donor, a big time donor, and you get that benefit of giving, you know, if you give a million bucks and you can use that as a taxable donation, like that's, it's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. I think it will largely depend on how they're set up. Right. Um, and look, pays get fat, halls get slaughtered, right? And if you're doing it and you're actually f- like running it through legitimate charities, you know, like I can't speak for all of them, but like I know FSU, 
their one uses the Boys and Girls Club yep. pretty heavily. So like that's a that's a legitimate charity. You're you're partnering with them. I'm not sure that like the offensive line is a charity. So you at least have to pretend that like they have to show up to 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 get stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um well you had the like the the story for LSU football, you know, you were you were running it through the hospital, right? The, yes. There was like a, a nonprofit. <laughs> Wasn't that embezzlement? Huh? Yeah, that was that was embezzlement. That, that was the more serious <laughs> yeah. problem. Yeah, because they weren't like we 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 weren't even pretending that those donations were. Well, maybe they were intended to go to the players. They were intended to go to like the yeah children's hospital. <laughs> <laughs> that was shady. It, yeah. There are just so we're clear, there is no nil deal. So I wish there were. If anybody wants to hit me up, go ahead. But no, no. In fact, Coca, cut that clip of Danny talking about all the money he's going to make. That is the only thing we're going to put out on social today. <laughs> yeah, we might just want to sit social out. I was going to quote tweet it out. I was going to put a tweet on Coach Norvell's and be like, "Yeah, it's the biggest nil deal in FSU history." But I, I don't know if people know that that would be a joke. So I wanted to, just didn't want to. Didn't hey, that route. hey oh, people see, on the people internet on really Twitter not realizing it's a joke. What South Carolina fans? Uh, hey, was oh, Monday wow. yesterday. Yep. Oh, listen, cow. that's I'm, I'm very proud of you for 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 taming your instincts to just go <laughs> off and just throw that joke out there. You you probably saved yourself some headache and yes. and, a, and a awkward call with somebody at, at Florida State compliance. I'm sure. Yep. All right, coming up on the other side, we dive into the big old bag of mail. We're going to talk about Penn State. We're going to look back at the 2021 recruiting class and what is the the role of the modern coach? How much of it is recruiting? How much of it is player development? We'll get into that and more next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The 2022 Masters is underway and the First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered with round-by-round coverage after every tournament day. Tiger Woods, one 
uh, even through one. Uh, Rick Gaiman, Kyle Porter, and the First Cut crew are breaking down the odds board every night and bringing you analysis from the grounds of Augusta National. Go join the First Cut Golf Podcast, available wherever you're listening to this podcast. I think they've also got some live streams going. So uh, there's First Cut is crushing it right now with the Masters coverage. So definitely go and give them a listen and a view, a like, subscribe, all those things. All right, let's start off with a question from William. William says, love the news and analysis. Great group of hosts. Mailbag question. For the top third of elite programs, what percentage of college football coach success is talent acquisition, parentheses, recruiting, and what percentage is development, parentheses, coaching? And William suggests, is it 70-30 uh, I, I assume he's meaning 70% recruiting, 30% coaching. So recruiting versus coaching, how much of how how is it split up right now with a modern college football coach at the high end? He's a top third of uh, elite programs. Okay. Bud. Well, he said he said, give me a second. I'm think, I think he's live betting the Masters is what I think is going on. There's some serious grinding. There's smoke coming out of his ears. I would say maybe even higher. I, and this is 80, somebody 20? who, yeah, I, I just going back and looking like in my philosophy has changed. I used to not really, cause I didn't, and I still, it's not like, trust me, I'm not studying high schoolers, but I give Bud a lot of credit for his formula that he came up with. Like, Hey, which teams can actually with the blue chip ratio. Oh, there we go. Oh, there so we go. It's a little graph. The higher your expectations are, the more important recruiting is. If you have sort of like make a bowl game expectations, you're probably not going to be able to recruit a very high level anyway. And then development, you know, long-term coaching matters more. But if you want to do, if you want to win the, the whole whole shebang, you just need to get the freaks and then fit your coaching to them. It's really kind of an interesting relationship there. Like lower you are down, you're not going to get those freaks. So you better be better at the coaching. I love that. I love that graph. And that's yeah, why I went 80-20. Right. My, my expectation was... What? Yeah, I'll put it back up again. Sure, I, I'm not really sure. I got the I got the slopes right, but the the general thought is is uh, yeah. Let's let's go expectation min max. That's yeah, solid. the the more you're recruiting, the less you, like you need for development. And if you're lower at recruiting, you need to be better at development. Inverse relationship, all tied to expectations. Jeez. So I guess it's, so. Your answer would be different for every program across college football, but since the question asked top third elite tier, then 80-20 might be something that's pretty close to right. Yeah, I think so. It's also, um, there's, I think, two facets here that interest me. Number one, um, top third, you know, is sort of arbitrarily drawn. There's 131 teams in college football now, right? So, like, I don't think that for team 42, the expectations and the, the, the split is the same for teams, like, 15 through 1. You know what I mean? Like the teams that are already there and the teams that are aspirational to already or to actually win a title. And then we also, it is the question asking more what is more important for a coach or like how is their time split up? You know what I mean? I, I, I think it's the importance, right? I think it's the importance. Yeah. Like, oh, what, okay. what does your strength need to be? And something that's interesting is I, I just, you know, try to think about the Alabama, um, Nick Saban, and how much of it is tied to the staff because the Alabama staff has had just so much turnover. There have been years where we've looked at the Alabama staff and been like, how, how good is that player development? You know, like how, how good is the coaching on that staff right now? And we know that there's obviously some issues because Nick Saban himself 
will go and make changes and he'll go and shake things up if he's unhappy with some of the results. Now, those Alabama teams are still winning 11, 12 games. They're still, you know, reaching the college football playoff, maybe falling short in the national championship game uh, or in the national semifinal. But still, it's it's this idea that uh, it, it's very much going to be in flux. But as long as you've got the good recruiting, which Alabama always does, then even if you have your down year with the coaching and development, you're still going to have a shot to win the title. You just might not win it, and then you need that last little piece. The players do not guarantee you a national title. But if you don't have the players, I will guarantee you that you will not get the national title. It's sort of the, like, you know who has a national title? Gene Chizik, Les Miles. Now, look, Les Miles had a lot of success for LSU, so that may not be fair. But if you have enough talent, you can win it, even with significant coaching mistakes. I mean, look, Bobby Bowden was a tremendous coach. Long-term, that kind of success was absolutely crazy. And I think even Danny would tell you, especially once he got out of the 80s, he made a pretty big number of game management mistakes. You know, like they, they were good at player dev for sure. So, like, I'm not talking like they didn't develop their, their guys. They did develop their guys. But, I mean, you can win sometimes in spite of some coaching decisions, right? Like, some of those some of those wide rights were set up by little little puckering there uh, in the third quarter, which which allowed Miami to come back. So, the, it's at the at the very highest level, you got to have the dudes. I hear you. Uh, all right, let's turn our attention to the Nittany Lions. This question comes from Mike. Mike asks, you guys always say Penn State is a, quote, quarterback away from being a legit title contender. Do you think Drew Aller can be that guy? And what are the chances that he takes Sean Clifford's job at some point this season? Also, does any team benefit more from an expanded playoffs than Penn State? Uh, I, I- for the second part, I think there's a lot. I think you go yeah. through every conference and you find whoever has here a lot yeah. of third best teams in conferences and second best teams in conferences are going to benefit from an expanded playoff. Um, as for the first part of that question, it's strange because I had to write like our Big Ten, you know, spring questions, a column for that last week where I had to go through every single program in the conference and figure out what the big question is surrounding them. And it's strange because I feel like Sean Clifford is the one thing I actually know about Penn State this year. Because <laughs> I'm looking at this team and I'm trying to break it down. And it's like, it, I feel like it's the same stuff every year where our questioner's right. It's like, we're always saying, you know, Penn State's a quarterback away. And Sean Clifford has been the quarterback for the last few years. But it's also every single year I look at Penn State and I'm like, is this offensive line going to get better? Are they going to be able to run the ball this year? Because there's been too many seasons where that hasn't been the case. And now you toss on the fact that guys like Jahan Dotson are gone. So Dotson, who covered a lot of ground for you and was a big part of that offense, you've got to replace him. Although over the years, I feel like Penn State's done a pretty decent job of finding new receivers and new playmakers in that fashion. Defensively, there's a lot of guys to replace. But the quarterback position is one of the areas where even though I don't think Sean Clifford is an amazing player, I'm that's I have more confidence in him right now than I do a lot of other areas of that Penn State roster. But I don't think that the job is his in cement. I do think Drew Lark could possibly push him for playing time, although I think it's very safe to assume that Clifford will start the season as the team starter and maybe the work will are in as the year goes on. And if he plays well enough and Clifford isn't playing that well, he'll overtake the job. But I would expect it to be Clifford for most of this season. Penn State opens with Purdue. I think so. I, I I did a little like quick and dirty window. Yeah, thing. at Purdue, Ohio, then at Auburn, first three weeks. 
Yeah. So I look, I think Drew is probably the most talented quarterback Penn State has signed in in quite a while. You know, um, Hackenberg had some pretty nice physical tools, and, and it never really translated, and the development stalled. Uh, but at least since him, if not going back further, uh, Justin Fields, who they had committed but not signed, obviously would have been a, a pretty pretty big difference maker. That, that's a fun fun thread to kind of tug on. By the way, what what if James Franklin held on to Justin Fields? What 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 does the, the Big Ten look like right now? Uh, but I, I do think he absolutely has the goods physically to take Penn State to the next level. I mean, we he was our number one rated quarterback. Um, pretty much every time we saw him, he just he's got a cannon, but he seems to know where to go with the ball. Like the release is pretty clean. It, it, it he's a productive guy. I don't think he's going to beat out Sean Clifford. That that's a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. But I is this Clifford is this Clifford super senior year? I think so. I mean, uh, if, if it's like, not, I think you're saying uh, this next Kenny Pickett. Let's go. Is that where you're going? <laughs> I would no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying the next Kenny Pickett. You know what's crazy? Not, if it, he's actually not. been he's actually been better than Kenny Pickett. Like if you look at last season, mm-hmm. he was better than Kenny Pickett was in his first three at, at Pitt. I do think what you get with Clifford, though, and, and I heard this a lot throughout my career, especially in the NFL, is like you're going into coaches, like we know what you give us. It's like it's like basically saying you are what you are. Like you're not going to be an All American. You're not going to be a first round pick. So then I do wonder, at some point, do you start looking for the future? And I would say after those first three games might be the time to start implementing somebody else if it's not. Like if he's winning games, then it's great. Game manager, steady ship, not big turnovers, one or two big plays here or there. But if it doesn't go that way and you're worst case one and two, but you know if that happens, then yeah, I think you're making the switch. So I do I, feel like they're tapped out with Clifford, though. I, I would like to see, like, I would like to see Sean Clifford playing in a Penn State offense with a better offensive line and a run game they could actually rely on. I would like to see what he's able to do then, because I thought he played. The thing with Clifford is when he's playing well, he's actually, you know, he's not great, but he's a pretty good quarterback when he's playing well. He's he's able to get the job done. It's just when he, there's too many bad moments, especially against some of the better teams. But I also felt like the last couple of years in that offense, they've just haven't had anybody to run the ball and, or they haven't been able to run the ball. And there's been so much put on his shoulders that it's like, he is a game manager who hasn't really been allowed to manage games. You get what I'm, you get what I'm saying? If he has to try to do too much, then yeah. he gets exposed. If he can be a game manager, maybe he's a good one, but I, yeah. I totally hear what you're saying. Does uh, Mark in the chat, um, by, by the way, short round, just, just getting me tickled with Sean Clifford, the big blue overthrow. Um, Mark in the chat asks if he's a Jag plus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, a couple years ago, I would have said no, but last year I thought he took a pretty nice step forward. Yeah. I'm, I can, I can be talked into that. I can be talked into the sixth year senior. Where does, do you guys feel like this is a big year for James Franklin? I mean, two years subpar by their standards too. Flirted with USC, like kind of wanted out, and they remember he was the name. And then because they, mm-hmm. they started off, was it four and zero, five and zero, and then they lose three in a row, and it's like, do they still want him? Like, if you're USC, are they still like? Do they, I think it's a big year for him to kind of not not that he's going to get fired or anything, but like to to kind of sustain the momentum you had early in the first few years of James Franklin at Penn State you got to kind of get things headed back in that direction, especially with Michigan making inroads back with Jim Harbaugh. Ohio State's not going anywhere. 
I think it's a big year for James Franklin. Yeah, I think if it's like another seven and five or eight and four season and Michigan State is good again and Michigan's still Michigan and Ohio State's obviously Ohio State, I think because you're kind of already hearing, at least I am, some grumblings from Penn State fans. I think if that happens again this year, those grumblings will just get a little bit louder. Yeah. I, I think 23 is the big year, right? Okay. Um, you, now, not that this year is not a big year, but you just sign him to a new contract. So any kind of rumblings about, you know, I was a hot, you know, if it didn't go well, hot seat. I, I just, I would disregard that. Yeah, you um, can't say hot seat when he just signed a ninety-six million dollar deal or whatever. Correct. Um, you know, they, they're increasing their staff size. The, they just signed a really good recruiting class. I think most people, and A and M fans should hear this too, should not expect a like recruiting class at that level to come in and have a huge impact in year one. But if it's a really special recruiting class, we usually do see that big time impact in year two. So year two for that would be the 2023 class. You know, all our second year, um, you get West Virginia and Delaware as as your two non-conference games. From the West, you draw Northwestern and Illinois. Uh, You're going to lose no, to Illinois. Right, again. of course. But uh, like to me, that's uh, – and UMass is the other non-conference game. Like I am – I can't get any Penn State 2023 futures right now, but uh, look, WVU, Delaware – UMass in the non-con, Illinois Northwestern from the West, uh, and a pretty talented roster. I, I think that's the year that's going to Penn State or Penn's going to be circling. Also, Stroud's probably gone from Ohio State, and that's a big deal. Next question. Uh, great job as always, guys. Entertaining throughout the entire year. Question. Oftentimes, it seems we become obsessed with signing day, but a year later – Many of those, pro- but a year later, we forget about many of those prospects unless they burst on the scene. Curious, when you look back at the 2021 class, who stands out? Who needs to improve? Who do you think was misevaluated? So, for those who don't have 24 7 sports pulled up right now, I can very quickly run through uh, some of the bigger names. Quinn Ewers was the number one player in the 24 7 sports composite. Uh, of course, at the time, he had committed to Ohio State. He is now in the quarterback battle at Texas. Then you go to Corey Foreman at USC, uh, defensive lineman, J.C. Latham, offensive tackle at Alabama, J.T. Tuimalo, wait, Tuimolao, oh, crap, yeah. can you do it, bud? That was close. Uh, Tuimolao. Okay, and then Jack Sawyer, uh, both also at Ohio State. Tommy Brockermeyer never ended up seeing much of the field for Alabama, but I know that um, expectations are for him to be very a, a regular contributor on that offensive line. Caleb Williams at number seven. Amarius Mims, the offensive tackle at number eight. Dallas Turner, also from Alabama. Emeka Abuga, uh, the wide receiver at Ohio State. Other names to, of note, Sam Heward, the quarterback from Washington, James Williams, uh, who we got to see a little bit, safety, who ended up going to Miami, Nolan Rucci, the five-star offensive tackle, uh, and Brock Vandegrift, the quarterback uh, at Georgia. So of these, some of these players, some of these names, uh, what stands out as we do a little retrospective looking back at that 2021 uh, player rankings from the recruiting class? So I I think 2021 is an interesting uh, year to bring up um, because I do think that relative to where we are right now as a rankings industry. And I, I, I think the rankings have gotten a lot more accurate in recent years, mostly due to uh, the prevalence of data and digital film, right? Higher quality cameras, by the way, at a lot of these schools, especially some of these poor schools in the South where it used to be like even in the late 2000s, like pretty grainy. Uh, so this was the COVID year. We never got to see these kids in person. Mm. Um, but I think 
or well, not a lot of them, right? Some of them, yes, but uh, but you're not not everybody. Um, I think there's a couple interesting trends here. The Ohio State guys, I think for the most part, you said Ibuka, uh are either hits or the transfer portal market tells us that they're still pretty attractive. I mean, if Texas didn't take Quinn Ewers, I guarantee you there, there was a line out the door. Uh, Latham played some important snaps for Alabama when uh, what's-his-name went down for the Tide in that playoff game. Caleb Williams obviously went number one in our Heisman draft. Dallas Turner was really productive uh, last year as a true freshman for the Tide. Leonard Taylor you know, got to play a lot as the season went on. You know, we haven't seen much of Sam Heward yet for Washington. I also think that was a pretty crappy situation to be in as an offensive player, at, mm-hmm. given the, the culture there. Um, James Williams played quite a bit for Miami. Uh, if Brock Vandergriff hits the transfer market, I bet you the transfer market is going to be pretty hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry like, started well, for Alabama. Yeah, he was a good yeah. player at the end of the season. And yeah. J.J. McCarthy was also in this class to pull some of the mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Ja'Cory Brooks had to get called on when they had injuries at the wide receiver position. We have seen – Oh, Will Travion Henderson. Yeah, Most well, in this class. Travion is in this Travion. class. Brock Bowers, uh-huh. maybe one of the best finds out there. Also, yeah, say, like, if you look at the composite, just like the top 20 players in the composite for the 2021 class, 12 of them are offensive or defensive linemen. Like you typically don't see a lot of guys coming in as freshmen at those spots and being major contributors right away because a lot of them aren't big enough yet. They've got to spend a year in the weight room getting ready to at least kind of withstand. Like you might see them in spot starts. Like Corey Foreman played in 11 games for USC, but he wasn't a regular. He was getting snaps at times, but you need a year to get just physically ready to compete consistently. I will say uh, just scanning this like top 50, of the guys who have already transferred out, um, 24-7 was lower on them than the composite. With Terrence and, Lewis sort of being the poster child that we keep coming back to here. Five-star committed to Maryland now is Kamar, transferred. Kamar Wheaton, you know. Kamar Wheaton. Um, so I, 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 that's that's where you want to be, right? You, 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 want, you want to be higher than the industry on the hits, and you want to be lower than the industry on the uh, – I'm not saying they're misses. Certainly they could still have great careers. But Are there, are there guys on here that you're starting either. to get concerned about? You know, like guys that either transfer early. Um, you know, I was actually Googling this because I was like, what happened to a guy Hall as, you know, did you guys see what happened the other day when he was announced he wasn't on the roster and he tweeted out? News to me. To me. <laughs> it was like, what I, I'm not surprised he's transferring. Well, I when, saw, well, I see now, I guess there was news out this morning. He's suspended. Yeah, he's suspended. Not so I don't think time. he's transferred he's suspended yet, multiple times. Like, yeah, Saban um, seemed to indicate that he is – he is on his like last and final straw and there, there may not be a, a fourth chance or whatever for him, but we'll see. I understood why Alabama took him. Uh, and granted, like kids can grow up just because, you know, you have some issues in high school. doesn't mean that you have to have issues for your whole life or your college career. But I mean, I think he was at, if you count the, the very brief stay at IMG four high schools in four years, and then Bama is the fifth school in five years, and then wherever he's at next year, assuming he transfers, will be a sixth Jeez. school in six years. So, but then in the twenty twenty one spring game, he had like three hundred yards. Now look, yeah. this is why Bama took him. Whoa. This is why Bama took him because when he wanted to play hard, when he had his head screwed on straight, the stuff he did on seven on seven was ridiculous. Okay, like I think actually his best was better than the other kid in our state, Corey Brooks' best. And I love Ja'Cory Brooks. I've seen him since he was an eighth grader. But Ja'Cory Brooks brought it all the time. 
and like you could trust your Corey Brooks. Um, I'm sorry, but if I saw a guy at four high schools in four years, he'd be on a red flag. Don't even touch him. List. It depends because he was only at IMG for I think like less than a month. So maybe they're you know what I mean. Whatever happened yeah. there, but still yeah, three, it was and four three high schools in four years. I'd probably have the same philosophy though. I don't know that much movement to me, man. And I know some of these kids have it. You know, they got issues. They got stuff they got to do. Right. But man, that's a that's a big. It's red a red flag. flag. Yeah. You know. Um. Got. See, the thing is, like. If you're really worried about somebody already, what what has changed in their skill set? What 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 changed? Did they all of a sudden like go backwards as far as body composition? Did they lose you know miles an hour off their their their, their throwing arm? What did they did they suffer an injury that you know, made them lose some of their quickness? Uh, did they have a role change or like did they not adjust well to college yet? Like I'm not really drastically different. I don't think on any of these guys. Um, I really liked Dallas Turner, but I did not expect him to be that good that soon because he was also a basketball kid. And I thought he was a little bit raw and had some uh, growing as a player to do and loved his upside, but like that he got in and played for Alabama that early, I think is, is, is pretty impressive. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think about guys who like are really drastically different on already. I, yeah. I, I don't go into the evaluation process, but it's when only Tyler- been a year. Yeah, when highly rated guys are are losing position battles or missing out on playing time when you might expect otherwise, we probably still have some time before we can put those judgment on these guys based on where they are. I'll also say Hall in the title game against Georgia targeted seven times, two catches, one drop. That's a big drop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's like I, I feel like they might be more willing to put up with some stuff if you played better too. Possible. All right. Next question comes with a little bit of a disclaimer. So the big old bag of mail, we let the listeners and the viewers let us know what we want to talk about. We are not necessarily just like out here trying to angle for clicks as it has been alleged, as it has been alleged that the cover three podcast only continues to poke the bear of the Oklahoma USC relationship. Like we are just doing this for our entertainment. Now, is the Oklahoma-USC relationship one of the most entertaining relationships that we've seen in college football in a very, very long time? Absolutely. But we are not continually bringing this up to get under your skin, Oklahoma fans, because other listeners are also entertained by this Oklahoma-USC relationship. So now, let's go inside the the head of an OU fan. As the question asks, would OU fans rather, A, you go seven and five, Oh, not good. But you beat USC by 20 points in a bowl game, which means probably it wasn't a great year for USC either, and you get to beat the pants off Lincoln in a bowl game. That's scenario A. Scenario B, you go 9-3, and three, play a random team, probably in like, I don't know, the Russell Athletic Bowl or something like that. Let's say you win it. You finish 10-3. and three. Go 9-3, and three, play a random team. That's scenario B. USC is free from your headspace. Or C, you go 10 and 2 and lose to USC by 20 points in a bowl game. What's the scenario that you would rather have as an Oklahoma fan? I think it's easy. You'd rather be you you will go 7 and 5 as long as you can finish no. it. No, I think it's B. I think oh, it's 9 and 3, three. dodge it. Give us a solid starting year. Take give the wins. A, give us a bowl win. You know, you feel good about yourself moving forward. Can capture some momentum. By the way, did you see the uh, 
I think Buzz, I think Dusty even tweeted at you, Bud, something about it. But um, the way too early Big Twelve win totals. Okay. Yeah, I made those. Oh, you did. That's, I, that's, uh, we, that's why he tweeted them at you. Um, so Brad Crawford, who runs News Desk, was like, "Hey, we need we, we want to do some long forms for each conference uh, on like the Vegas win totals." And I was like, "Well, they're not out yet." And I was like, "But I have mine probably like seventy percent done." So I'll just shoot you mine and round them to, to an even number. Cause like the Facebook crowd doesn't love seven and a half wins. It's like, how do you win a half game? So I was like, all right, whatever. I'll just, I'll, I'll round it. <laughs> so I had Oklahoma leading with nine and Oklahoma fans were like the big 12 always has, has a double digit team win. And I was like, yes, but that's called positive variance, right? Like, you know, did you, uh, did you take that to Facebook too? Much love to all of our viewers on Facebook. I, we so love Facebook. I, I did not take that. To Facebook, uh, okay. Why are you yeah. taking over uh, the Edgewater Casino there from uh, Tom Fornelli's? <laughs> what was yours? The uh, Edgewater Emporium. The Edgewater Casino and Entertainment Emporium. Yeah. Now Hope with the buffet. On his territory. Yeah, now with a buffet. <laughs> I do think uh, you take the wins. <laughs> yeah, Chet, Chet seems to agree. Victor says, I'm an Oklahoma alum, and he says, scenario B, Mark B, uh, Georgia, ba- Georgia boy Boomer B. Um, <laughs> Short Round says, I, I am not an OU fan or alum, but I'm creating a summoning circle for scenario C. Like, it's just cruel. Like, Oklahoma fans, it's not us. It is the listeners also that are continuing to uh, to get a big piece of this. Honestly, uh, based on some of the interactions that I've had with Oklahoma fans, I think plenty of them would be happy with option A. Just like seven and five is fine, but you like, get to they'd be mad about it. yeah, like they'd be mad about going seven and five, and then when they crush USC in the bowl game, they'd be like, hey, yeah, well, that's great, we're fine, that was a good year, yeah, <laughs> amazing. How how many rival like so so why Texas is it not as bad Notre Dame and LSU? Just eh, it doesn't think, feel anywhere near the vitriol. There, I don't know. I'm just going to keep my yeah. mouth shut on that one. Okay. <laughs> I don't, here's why I don't think Notre Dame fans were all that disappointed to see Brian Kelly leave. Like, I think they appreciated him, but I don't think that they felt like he oh, was he's been the, there longer. Yeah. Lincoln, uh, big picture. Lincoln Riley had not been there long enough to feel like he had written and finished a chapter, his chapter at Oklahoma. Brian Kelly could look at two college football playoff appearances and the uh, BCS national championship game appearance more than a decade. Isn't it more than a decade of being there? Mm-hmm. And also like the, uh, sorry, go ahead, Tom. No, like when Brian Kelly took yeah. over at Notre Dame, you got to remember Notre Dame was coming off of like Charlie Weiss, Ty Willingham, a whole lot of bad years. So like Brian Kelly kind of brought Notre Dame back. So everybody's kind of happy. Oklahoma had the Bob Stoops tenure going right into Lincoln Riley and things picked up real quick. So they're kind of, more used to being at a certain level. And I feel like maybe they think that, you know, you shouldn't leave us for another school. Whereas Notre Dame fans are kind of like, okay with it. The the cult of personality around Lincoln Riley there at Oklahoma um, had a lot to do with how well they were recruiting. And I think that's part of it too. It's like when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, he didn't take a lot of Notre Dame commitments or current players with him to LSU. Kids were committing to Oklahoma because of Lincoln Riley. Now, to Oklahoma's credit, they are doing a better job now since Riley's left of you know getting interest around the program. Oklahoma's not going to just go into a ditch, right? It's Oklahoma. They're one of the most successful programs in any of our lifetimes, uh, and they are almost never down for you know really long stretches. But the difference in my mind is there was a lot, like a lot of worry from Oklahoma fans. Oh shoot, kids were coming here because Lincoln made you know made it cool. 
which I think it already should have been cool, but all right. Um, especially skill position guys and national, you know, QBs and whatnot. Whereas Notre Dame fans, I think in d- deep down they're like, eh, like Lincoln Ra- or uh, Marcus Freeman might be a better recruiter than BK is. Well, oh, yeah, that's the other thing is Lincoln took assistance too. He took recruits. Correct. He took actual scholarship players, including the quarterback QB one, and he also took assistance. Brian Kelly left and reportedly offered. Um, the opportunity, but he at least left somebody who was ready to take over right away in Marcus Freeman. And also just I, in Chicago, I know a lot of Notre Dame fans and a lot of them didn't really like Brian Kelly very much. They appreciated what he was doing for the program and all that, but they didn't like him. Do you think you I need mean, to like your, your favorite team's college football coach? No, I don't. I, my coach can be a giant a-hole. If they're winning games, I'll live with it. <laughs> Same, agree. Like person personality, just you can you can be whatever you want as long as you're winning games. Can no, make, I mean you can't can you be, make up for losses with good personality? You can definitely get a longer leash. Yeah, I think so. If you if you're just likable, I think people and the press too. I think the press can like you and be a little tamer. And if you're oh. if you're prickly and you you're not the nicest with the media and the fans and everything, they'll they'll probably be quicker to to chastise you and put you on the hot seat. So there's this uh, um, totally random here. I'm just I'm getting text here from our, our boy Andrew Ivins. Shout out Ivins and, and Cooper for yesterday's show. Actually, like look at that cover three audience like in recruiting. That was cool. Um, we've seen this kid a couple times at seven on, and I'm not going to drop his name until we bump his rating up, and then we'll talk about him on the show. But like he's playing a new position now, and like I don't, I never had testing numbers on him, and we just saw his testing numbers, and like he's been balling at the new position in some of these smaller stuff we've gone to, and then uh, he just ran off the charts get the testing data back. So I'm like, yes, guy I've been vouching for is, is legit. I'm very happy. Nice kid. All right. One, let's see one more. Then we'll get out of here. All right. Question comes from Ryan. Uh, Oscar Shibway is looking like a strong contender for the wooden award winner. I do believe he was Naismith national player of the year, but I've yet to see him on any mock draft and haven't heard much about any teams wanting to take a chance on him. With that in mind, I was wondering who are the, some of the greatest college football players who did not have a career in the NFL. Not necessarily referring to guys who ended up not panning out like a Tebow or Mariota, but guys who had a stellar but guys who had a stellar year and did not find their way into the league. I mean, there's like a whole host of QBs you could name. Danny played with one, but like he, you know, who? I mean, I mean like Tebow, Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward, yeah, like there's there's been a lot. I feel like it's probably more quarterback than most other positions where there's like a lot of guys at the, at the college level who could be very, very, very good college players because of the offense is like Tommy Frazier, Eric Crouch, Tebow. All these guys were yeah. phenomenons at college, but they just weren't fits for what they do in the NFL. And that's kind of what Oscar Sheboy is. Um, what about like Ron Dane got drafted? Yeah, he like he had a good. I think he was in the NFL for five or six years, but he yeah, never he really. Yeah, he had like one pretty good season with the Giants, didn't he? Like, I think he ran for like six or 700 yards one season, but he was never going to be the guy he was at Wisconsin in the NFL because he wasn't, he just wasn't the athlete. He was just a giant man who could run the football. Good. Kellen Moore is a good example of this. Yeah. Chat, chat coming in strong with Kel- Kellen Moore's, what is that, the winningest quarterback uh, in like Division One uh, history or something mm-hmm. along those lines? And Dorsey. Ken Speaking Dorsey. of guys who won tons of games in college, although I don't, I think you can make the argument Ken, Ken Dorsey wasn't great in college as much as he was on 
some pretty damn good football teams. I had the strangest name popping into my mind when I thought about this, and I had to go and look it up. It turns out he is still in the uh, he's still in the NFL, and so I guess he has had a job. But Kevin White, top ten pick out of West Virginia, I thought that dude was a stud in college. I think and I, more that's more of a bust, though, isn't it? When you yeah. think of that, yeah, because you know, he got the opportunity, he got multiple opportunities. Who drafted him? Chicago, wasn't he the Bears? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Um, because that's a good question. Because the bus, somebody said Ryan Leaf, that's a bus. Like, there is like guys that are just great college players that just don't translate to the next level. I'm trying to think of defensive players. Like, you know, there's been a lot of slow I would say like a guy like Skowski. Like, do you think yeah. James Skowski is gonna be an NFL guy? No. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I played with a bunch of guys that were Great teammates, really good all ACC players that just were really good college players, you know, and then just didn't get an opportunity. They weren't NFL guys. Yeah, I I think that the reason why we have more examples of um, offensive guys is because I think you can scheme your way to points better than you can scheme your way to stops. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can be a little more creative with that, I guess. You know what I'm saying? It's like um, in all of our a lot of the defensive examples that are being brought up by the chat right now. It's, it's typically Manti Teo's. Manti Teo is a good example. Scooby is there anybody Wright. for Saban? Like, because Saban, one of the reasons he hated the no huddle uh, was because he couldn't like call and set the defense and figure out the strength and the star and ID the H and the tight end and whatnot. Um, so he had to have his guy on the field do it. And I feel like he's had some guys there who, like, who's a Saban defensive guy who was like very smart and like, why is he on the field? Like he doesn't look like a freak athlete like the rest of these dudes. It's like, oh, that's right, because he gets these other guys lined up. Um I feel like he hasn't had one of those guys in a while though. Yeah. I mean like you know I think that was Jordan Battle's really smart and Andy's fast and huge. (laughs) I think Saban's done a good job of like I think that's kind of like where Clemson still is, the way they've had to recruit where they need the Skowskis. I feel like Alabama was at that spot for a while where you just needed the captain into the defense, but now they've like, hey, look, we've found guys who both know the defense and are phenomenal. He went from Dante Hightower to CJ Mosley to Landon Collins. What about the safeties? I feel like um Vinny Sanceri. Vinny Sanceri, okay. He was a, a solid player, yeah. college player, but like, you know, the um who was the the coach is guy on the, in the facility and lastly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll find. There's a definitely a guy in like Saban's 2008 Bama defense who I, I, I'm thinking of now. Um, Terrence Cody. Was it? it wasn't I'll tell you a guy or... that I uh, have on our radio show a lot is Barrett Jones. He yeah. was an offensive sure. lineman at Alabama that was awesome. All SEC. You know, I think he was all American and just he, he pushed his quarterback it. in the, the Orange Bowl. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And probably uh, Rashad Johnson. Did Rashad Johnson mm-hmm. play in the league? Oh, yeah, he's wearing a Cardinals jersey, so I guess he did. Yeah, but if you get in and you're not that, you know. I'll tell you what, you know, there's there's guys that work the other way, too. I mean, that's kind of those guys, the sleepers that you never see. Like a Hunter Renfro, I would have thought, great college player. Maybe he'll get a chance, but I've been shocked at how well he's done at the next level. Like you thought he was going to be on the Clemson coaching staff, and instead yeah, he's yeah. turned into be like he's one of the two or best receivers on the team. Um yeah, very interesting to uh, to continue to look at that, especially as uh, the game continues to change. And yes, I think the initial the initial run of names is quarterbacks. Like mm-hmm. you can you can be an excellent 
college quarterback, but then uh, having it hit in the NFL, much more difficult. Harry Higgs, two under through eight. That's at the top of your master's leaderboard right now. Remember, Go John Rahm. Has he teed off yet? I don't think no. so. I got John Rahm at 13 to one to win it. So let's go. Ooh, oh, I got right. John Rahm last night at $51 in our master draft. Nice. All right. And and you, Danny Cannell is on his way to Tallahassee, but you would think he's just going to keep going north the way that he is decked out. In <laughs> I am ready to go. I might. Because <laughs> I travel issues, I was supposed to fly, and I might be driving. I might just stay straight up 75 and then just veer <laughs> over to 85 after through Atlanta. Just speed oh, like hell. Oh, just sorry, speed like hell. And if you get pulled over, tell the cop you got a tea time in three hours. <laughs> you got to get to Augusta. I'm teeing off. <laughs> You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thanks very much. Thank you. See ya. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.